Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler-heavy. You have been warned. I'm Jennifer Albright. And I'm Tim Heiderich. Today we have a returning guest. He's currently curating a gallery showing of high-resolution photographs of Bridget Fonda's tongue. It's Sean Morris. How's it going, Sean? That's right. Actually, I found one of Heather Graham this morning that I need to post, but thanks for reminding me. Sean is here because he brought to our attention a film which isn't even uh, forgotten so much it, as it, it is just unknown. Yeah, it would yes. have to be known. Never remembered. Um, and it dovetails neatly with a film that is currently highly acclaimed and popular. So, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, what are we fucking with this time, Sean? We're fucking with a, a, a fantastic movie called Live in Large. And it's spelled L-I-V-I-N apostrophe L-A-R-G exclamation point. Sounds awesome. So it's like... Moulin Rouge, but with an apostrophe. Moulin Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Disney movie. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, my it's... mother and I, because this is a family classic that we, of course, have on video cassette, uh, we don't remember how we saw this movie. It could have been our aunt saw it in the one theater that she saw it in, in Sacramento or something, or we saw it in a trailer for another obscure early 90s black comedy that we were watching on video cassette. It was a very limited release. Yes. Here's the funny thing about very limited release. It's still, even for 1991, opened at number four in the box office with a whopping 2.1 million and ended up grossing 5.5. So even though no one knows what it is, it's still more popular than Pootie Tang was in the theaters. Is, is this movie like The Shadow, which also came out around that same time, where it's just like, yeah, it came out and no one remembered it? <laughs> yeah, I think it did better than The Shadow. Uh-huh. Well, thematically, very similar. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I also it's all like... about the maintaining the authenticity of one's identity in a hostile society. And, and, and they both have a flying knife in them. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I remember about The Shadow is the flying knife. I like that. Um, well, Live in Large has, you know, by way of its apostrophe, it has more street cred than either Living Color or In Living Color. Or living single. Or oh yeah, <laughs> which is is gonna get us back on track finally. Yes, cause, uh... because living large stars uh, a man who would go on to star in Living Single, Terrence T C Carson. I'm guessing his biggest claim to fame would be Living Single or being the caroler in those. Was that Target? <laughs> he was the caroler in those Christmas commercials. Oh, that's good. So between that and living single, um, he's probably made some healthy residuals. He's, yeah, he's doing well. Yeah, because I think they play those. Well. He was the. Uh, I think he actually was singing. So good for T.C. Carson. He's got there a nice go. voice. Yeah, I believe he started in uh, in musical theater. Yes. Yeah. That sounds about right. He has a musical theater voice. Oh, so uh, <laughs> so let me ask: Do you know each other? No, unfortunately, <laughs> he's a little older than me, oh. and he's from Chicago. 
Well, yeah, I guess that could be a limitation. Uh, so why? So, Kim, it's so really like messed up to assume that all the musical theater kids know each other. <laughs> yeah, that's very <laughs> offensive. So uh, apart from this movie grossing um, what five million dollars and being seen by seven or eight people, uh, why <laughs> why are we talking about it? Well, the the great connection with this movie was there's a movie out right now you may or may not have heard of it. Hopefully, may. Called Sorry to Bother You by Boots Riley. And that movie is about a man who achieves an extreme amount of success due to putting on his white voice <laughs> over the phone. Now, I, I was not aware that the white voice was a thing, because this is how I I'm speak I'm not aware of it either. <laughs> <laughs> Just sounds the same with me. <laughs> um, and as I was watching it, he said, use your white voice. And I said, oh, he's going to become a sellout and become popular. Like Dexter Jackson. <laughs> and after I saw the movie, I searched online on, on Twitter to see if anyone else was like, this movie is like living large, but with social commentary. No, no, so and there were about five people. And I was like, wow, no one remembers this movie. Uh, so everyone who saw Live in Large noticed the connection, yes. which is... There, still... there have been a few more since the movie's been out about a month, but it's still not as many people it hasn't reached as there mass should yet. be. Right. Yes, and it's funny because this movie was allegedly distributed by the Samuel Goldwyn Company, so yeah. they must have put some money behind it at some point. Yeah, and this was, what, um, 1991, I think? 1991. Yeah. So this was back when uh, black movies were still a niche market. I believe Boys in the Hood was two months old and was like an art house movie, even though it was from Columbia Pictures. Yeah, I saw that in the um, theater, too. That my, art my house mom asked me why. <laughs> well, well, Tim, why did you go see it? Because I'm a big John Singleton fan, obviously. <laughs> he is. He is. I, I was. He, he remembered Cuba Gooding Sr. and was like, I, I should see what his son is up to. Yeah, yeah. I imagine it'll so be I'm really So I'm guessing really Living Largest theatrical run was a few art house films. Hmm theaters in the early 90s and then it went to video where people like me saw it and said this movie is hilarious and all 20 of us bought it so it's kind of the i guess it was released effect. on dvd and um the only the easiest way to get it now is you can just watch it on youtube thank goodness yep. yeah Please there are watch a lot of it. movies that we find that way <coughs> yeah. yeah that's why we're here yes stay tuned is another one of those you can watch on youtube oh i remember we're not that talking about out. stay tuned I have not seen that movie, although I, uh, I do recall, is that when um, uh, Victoria Jackson made the jump to features? Or am I thinking of something else? It was Pam Dauber. Oh, okay. I thought it had John Ritter, didn't it? It was John Ritter and Pam Dauber. Oh, okay. I must be thinking of something else then. My God, our topic is two black movies, and already we're back talking about white We're, we're talking about Stay Tuned. I'm sorry. But yeah. that's because we're all using our white voices. Yeah. <laughs> and I noticed that... The skeletal structure of Live and Large is very similar to this uh, cinematic structure of Sorry to Bother You. Mm -hmm. Because Dexter Jackson is, even though the Wikipedia page says he's a delivery man, this is completely incorrect. He, it is. He, he, he drives a delivery van. Well, he works for a dry cleaning business. Yes. Little Dog Dry Cleaning Companies. Da, 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 where you can get your suit pressed in 30 minutes or less. So don't. It's, I'm not going to. I can recite the movie, but I'm trying to try not to. Well, I mean, leave something for the people to, you know, actually yeah. 
be surprised yeah. when they watch the movie. And Sean is not known for his restraint, so this is this is big, you yeah. guys. Yes. <laughs> so he's not a delivery man. He is a dry cleaner. <clears throat> he and his sister have a dry cleaning business bequeathed to them by their parents. Uh, his sister is played by Loretta Devine, who I believe is the most famous person in the movie, and she yeah, is built seventh. I recognized her right away from her voice. I thought yes. she was from a different world. Yes. No. What? What? I don't know who this is. Loretta, Loretta Devine. Devine. You yeah. would know Tim. You would know her as uh, Muriel from the PJs. <laughs> I can't believe I can say that, and Tim would be like, "Oh." oh Anyone yeah, else be like, "Oh, waiting to exhale or Dream Girls or <laughs> she con- the Carmichael Show"? Everyone watch the Carmichael Show. If you haven't watched Carmichael Show, watch Carmichael Show. It's amazing. Yeah. But yeah. Loretta Devine, Tim would know her as Muriel from the PJs. Okay, great. <laughs> but she has her career has been very. Uh, she's she's had a very long career and has yes. consistently worked since about uh, 1981. Yes. In film media, so. Yes. Yeah. Theater, film, yeah. television. So she she's knows fantastic. what she's doing. Yeah. Thurgood Stab. Oh my god, Thurgood's dead! <laughs> but yeah, so um, the, the the hero of the movie, he um, he works for this dry cleaning business, which he has with his sister, and he's got a gorgeous girlfriend, but his ambition is to be a television anchorman. He wants to be living large. But he calls it a newsman. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to be a newsie. Yeah. <clears throat> and how does he achieve that dream? Uh, by attending the Ajax School of Broadcasting, of course. <laughs> well, he does seem... He's hes very on the ball. He's a go-getter. You might see... Uh, I, I mean, I think that anyone who saw Live in Large decided to pursue their dream and hang out um, on like in front of the uh, you know, Man's Chinese Theater because they got a mixtape <laughs> that is straight fire. Yeah. I mean, they, anyone who looks at a, a news report and sees a hostage situation goes, oh, let me get in my uh, company's van. <laughs> and steal customers' clothing. Wasn't that a movie with Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah, that's what yeah. I noticed too. This had a striking resemblance, not just to, <laughs> uh, not just to Sorry to Bother You, but also to Nightcrawler. Yeah, Nightcrawler. Yeah, that's a great movie. It's yeah, very why dark. people steal everything? Right, pretty much. Uh, so he's got his mixtape, and he's trying to get it to uh, the the black correspondent. Who has already used his white voice to achieve fame and fortune. Yeah, he's already... He's kind of like in a horror movie. This is like the, the end of the previous cycle of this. <coughs> yes, he is uh, the previous one. And yeah. he is completely sold out because he looks at the man and goes, Is this your tape? It stinks. <laughs> it stinks. But it's okay because the guy then gets killed on camera. Yeah, he gets shot mm-hmm. by the hostage like I taker. Thought I, I, that was funny because I thought he was just going to get shot, but then they're like, nope, he's dead. No, he's dead. Well, he's a minor we're, we're character, and they're like, oh, it's absurd. It fits. Yeah, he's in the way. Yeah, there it's... can only be one black person on, in front of the camera in this movie. Right. He did. Oh, he did. So, so this yeah. also is a good time to connect to the rest of the cast because... Everyone in the control booth back at Channel 4 in News 4 Atlanta is saying, we have to cut the camera off. Our anchorman is there dead. Yeah. And the executive producer says, no, leave the camera on because she's obsessed with ratings and sensationalism. And she says, leave the camera on him. And as they leave the camera on him, they notice someone is grabbing his microphone and stepping in front of the camera. Who is it? It's Dexter Jackson. 
the report of Charles Dexter Jackson. <laughs> so uh, Dexter Jackson takes over the anchorman spot and uh, covers the hostage situation. And he does an expert job because the hostage taker wants to then speak to him. And he yes. then rescues the hostages. And yeah, yeah he's, he's kind of local hero. So he's an he becomes sensation. a local yes. hero and it's fantastic. Yes. And, um, and also in, the women in, in very the... Rodney Dangerfield movie fashion, they celebrate by just dancing to hip hop in front of the dry cleaning store. Yeah. I noticed that too. That was very like, is, was maybe Sean can illuminate why that happened. Cause yeah, 20 minutes into the movie, there's just like a dance number. So it of. was pretty Rodney Dangerfield end of back to school. Maybe they thought that movie was over. Maybe they had filmed a different movie. <laughs> And they're like, you know, you know, we have a better story here. Like, this you is have the a whole beginning character of the arc to get through. Well, much is, much is made in the movie of uh, black people dancing versus white people dancing. That is and true. So, it is a recurring theme. Yeah. yeah. So early on, we see we see very loose, free, exuberant uh, black dancing, and then and so it is establishing white people Jackson making as the coolest cat because he can really dance. Yeah, see, and see, this is something that I wondered watching, like the later scenes. There's, you know, an upper crust party with all the, the uptight white people, and they're dancing badly. But recalling that this was made in 1991, I don't know if like the white people are supposed to be like huge dorks, or if that just was the style in the 90s. I think it was a little bit of both. Yeah, they okay. were really playing on that Eddie Murphy joke about white people only knowing one kind of dance, and they weren't even doing that kind of dance. They yeah, were just they were kind just... of snapping their fingers off beat yeah, yeah like this the you heard the snaps coming through like they purposely mixed the snaps yeah. really loud so you would hear they were cartoonishly off beat right yeah to drive the point home yeah so white people be dorky and and the <laughs> sad thing and dexter jackson he wants to be like them man yeah. like how can you how can you sell yourself out like that well yeah because i mean the story is eventually like you know how much of yourself do you have to give up to achieve success and yes. for a person of color that means like just completely eliding your own identity to the your point hairstyle where, um, your vocabulary your culture yeah. your friends you start saying ask instead of axe yeah yes. there's literally a scene where um he's comically threatened with an axe for mispronouncing ask that's probably the the best version of that joke you will ever see <laughs> up and at them is, is her going to the the uh the axe by the uh fire alarm it's like this is an axe okay ask and um the um basically his um i guess his svengali on this journey would be um the head of the network um, who is played by... Um... That's a white guy. <laughs> no, it's a woman. Oh, right, she yeah. She has some extreme remember... pedigree. Because remember, this is... Um, I mean, it's 1991, so this is fresh after the uh, the boom of women in the workforce in the 80s. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and that very... You still have that very working girl image of women, like hard-charging women in a corporate environment. Yeah, it was now, pads. one thing I noticed about this movie compared to Sorry to Bother You is this movie, I mean, there is, there they do they do poke a little fun in Sorry to Bother You, but Live in Large goes hard on white women. Oh, yeah. yeah. And those those white women are as <laughs> The white women are thirsty as. in Live in Large. No, say again. 
they're vipers in Living Large. Yeah, <laughs> like the white, the white, the white women in this movie are, are pretty bad. But yes. you know, let's be honest. Well, during the life. entire hostage crisis, where the lead anchorman has been murdered and the stranger is having an uh, interview with a man with a gun pointed at his face, the the uh, Missy, the crazy. weather girl, who I will refer to as Weather Lady for the rest of this episode, <laughs> has her fingers through like the marketing guy is running through her fingers through his hair. As this entire scene is unfolding, she's basically just sleeping her way to try to get to be an anchor herself. Yeah, yeah, and they, yeah. She wants the the other weather girls, John. Yeah, and the don't forget how the, the, the... so there's a lot of machinations going on, and our mm-hmm. our naive, as he has been labeled in in the story itself, our naive protagonist has been thrust into this. Yeah, and don't yes. forget that um, in that again in that previous hostage taking scene, the head of the network, um, who again is played by uh, Blanche yeah, Baker, Baker, who was um, Carol uh, Carol Baker's daughter, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, she is. Almost having an orgasm at the prospect of yes. getting murdered on camera. Do it. <laughs> yeah, like the the two women like in the control room, like they are horny as fuck. They're like, both horny during ratings. this hostage crisis. Yeah, involving children and a murdered man. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's it again. It is very uh, nightcrawler esque. Yeah, and that's a um, and there you do get a little bit of that in Sorry to Bother You, which is kind of like um, weird, rapacious white woman sexuality. Like a couple of his interactions with that lady who's the manager at the telemarketing place. Oh, yes. like the invasion of the B women. Like when, yeah, like when she, um, you know, she takes him up in the elevator and she's wearing like a, a corset kind yeah. of a dress, and she's, you know, yeah. she's kind of acting like, you know, yeah, it's really clumsy flirting. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. hope that makeup's drool-proof. <laughs> <laughs> White women, man, gotta be careful. Yeah, well, she was it's... more of an ancillary character, but um, well, is Blanche that not... Baker, her Kate, Kate and Missy are pretty much central characters in the story. Is yeah, that not like large. the black men's? And they contribute to Dexter Jackson's success, but at what cost? Yeah, like that's the perfect foil to you know an upstanding black character as a conniving mm-hmm. white woman. I know that all the obstacles of my success have been because white women wanted to sleep with me. Yeah, what? see? It's, but I'm glad that, that you... That doesn't sound right when you say you, it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> but you stayed true to your nature. You didn't sell out. You didn't. You, you kept your black voice. And yes. that's why you're doing this podcast, not something better. It, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like you could be on... Uh... You could be on the flop house talking like David Cross, but instead you're on Have You Seen This? <laughs> talking like Sean Morris. Exactly. Right. It's my cross to bear. <laughs> you're David Cross to bear. Oh. Why did... That's getting cut out. Uh, yeah, and so so he... Um, Charles Dexter Ward, Dexter Jackson, uh, he, makes, um, he makes a name for himself with some hard-hitting reports, and there's some light mm-hmm. social commentary in there where he's like... The know, first one. Yeah, yes. I'm let uh, you know uh, crunch on MLK like, hey, five guys have been shot. Send some cops down here, and it's like you know a clock wipe. Three hours. It's been later. two hours. Still, and yeah, no one has shown up to the scene. Yeah, and then he goes to a nice neighborhood. It's like, oh, I think a woman tripped and, and twisted her ankle, and <laughs> he doesn't even hang up. And already, whoop whoop. Yeah, like yeah, six cars pull up. Yeah, it's fantastic. <clears throat> yeah, and he does other things about like an expose on like you know the local uh, like itis eatery. And like the, yeah, well, uh, that first shows. broadcast is is very biting and very smart, and yeah. of course, Kate hates it. Yeah, <laughs> she wants 
as at the beginning, even her uh, producers and money guys are like, this isn't one of your two-headed baby stories, but that's what she wants. She wants current affair, what's the modern version, TMZ-style reporting on regular news. So she doesn't want social commentary. She wants scandalous exposés. Yeah, and we get um, so, kind of a preface of that at the um, previous reporter's funeral, where everyone's kind of yeah. maneuvering to, to be like, no, like you know, don't do news, do like sensationalism. Yeah, yes. and um, we should point out that's where um, Dexter meets the um, the anchorman, who's kind of the uh, I guess he's the Dan Rather of the yes. network. Uh, he's the respectable Worthy. idol. Yeah, so he's the, I mean, he basically he's Dan Rather before he got in trouble for making that shit up about George W. Bush and the... Mm-hmm. And his before the lies. Yeah. <laughs> but this was 1991, so this is pre, yeah. what's the frequency, Kenneth, even? Mm. Exactly. But yeah, so uh, Clifford is, is definitely like, he's an august, older white man who encourages young Dexter to follow his integrity. He won a Pulitzer, so you gotta follow the Pulitzer Prize winner's uh, advice. I don't remember. No, he they like it was a malapropism that they made. It's like a. He didn't say no, Pulitzer. No, he's it was a Pulitzer Prize. That's a, <laughs> oh that's a good one. Like he he won the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> you should not sit like that. <laughs> yeah, so um, you know, Dexter has the opportunity to um be a serious reporter which is his initial impulse but under pressure from kate the head of the network and other societal forces he is encouraged to turn on his own community mm-hmm. and mine them for news stories yeah he gets pressured into a sham marriage yeah yes. yeah so it's, all it's... of his friends like his friends at the barbershop he does an expose about him being a numbers runner <laughs> while he's there yeah mm-hmm. And a, a very, like, a very early 90s thing, like, he goes to the soul food place and tells everybody that they're going to die of heart disease. Like, nobody long. knows that already. <laughs> that kind of rainfalls for me. Like, oh, no, they put fat in the greens. <laughs> you mean I'm eating nothing but pork? <laughs> That's why it tastes so fucking good. It's got that neck exactly. bone in it. That's why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's in the iced tea? Pork. <laughs> yeah, well, make it a large. Oh, pork tea. But yeah, and um, as um, Dexter's career rises and rises, not only does it cause uh, friction with his beloved girlfriend, he also Toynell, yeah, Toynell Davis. It's a great name. Yeah, <laughs> and she's um, played by Lisa Arundel Anderson, who's gorgeous. She's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, she's worked fairly fairly steadily, I think, on some television programs. Yeah, I mean, she's um like she she's definitely like kept her career going in spite of like not being yes. like a huge name, but no. and she also still looks great. So, um, mm-hmm. but um yeah, so he uh, is not only experiencing this friction with his girlfriend, he actually starts to hallucinate, which uh, it's sort of a <laughs> uh, portrait of Dorian White. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it starts with the first broadcast, I believe, the the barbershop one, where he sees himself in a freeze frame in a profile, and he says, my lips aren't that thin. That must be a flaw in the tape. Yeah. <laughs> and then his That's hair goes like... That's definitely a flaw in the tape. Yeah. And his hair starts to go all James Brown. Yes. Yeah, his, like his hair is like, straight. Your hair isn't straight. You know, He's like, I don't have good hair. I've never had good hair. <laughs> 
And then um, he, as as time goes on, his visions of himself become more and more grotesque, more whitewashed, until he finally looks like white like Eddie me, Murphy and the white like me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the makeup's not as good as that, so it's kind of like the Wayans brothers and white chicks makeup. Uh, <laughs> like who would even confuse this with an actual white person kind of makeup? Well, if you stood the Wayans next to like Iggy Azalea, you might be like, ah, that's true. Like, <laughs> this, this is where you got the gun. You're like, I don't know who to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> that broad and her store-bought ass. I was rocking oh those saddlebags before girl start, white girls started buying them. I'm just saying. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you should put a bucket of fried chicken on there. Maybe someone will give you a raptor room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, anybody who listens to this knows that I have excellent flow. Master mm-hmm. flow. Um, <laughs> I also like too when he you know starts to change over and he's uh, like he's dressing better, like he's eating ribs with a knife and a fork. Yeah, and and you know he explains to his you know the soon to be mother in law. He's like, well, I don't want to get you know ribs all over this like ninety dollar shirt, and I'm like, oh, so he must have bought something from the Kanye collection. <laughs> that's where it originally came from <laughs> it's a 90 dollar white t-shirt yes uh yeah so I, I think that you know the film ultimately culminates in this uh botched tv wedding where you have uh you know sort of the where it's competing for the soul of um you know dexter jackson whether he's going to be a craven sellout or like you know his actual roots that got him to this point are going to are going to snap him back to his real his real genuine personality which yes. is great because that's when all hell breaks loose and it kind of felt like <clears throat> it felt like that that jeffrey the squirrel script that you and i um talked about oh, yeah, we, just, like, we described that on the bullworth episode of the show yeah it's just it's mayhem and like <clears throat> someone's face goes in a wedding cake and like <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty. It's it's cartoonish violence. Yeah, that was how movies ended back then. Yeah, though. which I am yeah. fine with. Yeah, because and yeah, because it really it blows up into this grotesque spectacle where he's gonna he's he's going, arguing with like his white self on the TV. Yeah, he's so um to set Sean, can you set the situation up for our audience? Uh, well, we've we've skipped pretty quickly towards the end of the movie, but oh. um. Dexter is successful and he's kind of given up himself and he's hallucinating that he's white and it's kind of bleeding into his real life yeah. because he'll hang out with his friends and he'll say things like cheese and crackers and catch you later, dude. Like, <laughs> like white people do. It's true. They all do. talk like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> That's what, that, was, that was us appropriating underground uh, yes. turtle culture. Put on your white voice. Cowabunga! <laughs> Ever... That's that was, that was our exposure to white culture was the Bill and Ted movies, <laughs> and the Ninja Turtle cartoon. So he's talking in an exaggerated caricature of a white person, and he's lost himself. He doesn't have his dreadlocks. They were pretty short dreadlocks or shit locks, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, Reggie. Um, and he's achieving his goals. All of his stories are very, very popular. And um, oh, the next step, of course, is going from the man on the street to the anchor. Mm-hmm. And his idol, who is a drunk, d- uh, flips out one day and fires a gun into the camera. Yeah, which it, he's it, trying to. It, um... I think he just falls in line with the sensationalism, and he's also just fed up with Kate. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> he, he's he had had enough at that point. 
because yeah. yeah the the story that um he was a uh, what they're playing out play me out is that what it is anyway the story yes. that like so they have a story that was a uh, <clears throat> bishop or a cardinal or a priest or someone shoots up a convenience store because of all the liquor and condoms for sale. Yeah, which is kind of a, a hilarious, like, little brief set piece, which is this priest yeah, going in funny. with an automatic weapon and fucking shooting up a pharmacy. <laughs> yeah, he shoots up an entire, like, rack yeah. of prophylactics. And that that then causes the anchor to respond. And Dexter just goes, celibacy and mental illness. Is there a link? (laughs) Because, yeah, that's the point of that story. Like, it's completely, he's gone full two-headed baby stories. He's Kate's monster. Boy, this was back when the craziest thing you could imagine a Catholic priest doing was shooting up a drugstore. Yeah, how how, uh, offensive. (laughs) Can't get any worse than that for uh, Catholicism. I'm telling. I'm telling you. <laughs> so Clifford, he's done with it at this point. He turns back to the camera and goes, "This is what happens when firearms and prophylactics mix." And he puts a condom on the gun and fires it directly into the camera, <laughs> which is a pretty funny image. Yeah, and, it is. <laughs> and Kate kind of smiles, like, "I like that." Also, I'm gonna fire you for that. Yeah, because it's not like, um, I mean, it's not Christine Chubbuck or anything like that, but, you know, pr- pretty near. <laughs> yeah. It's not network. <laughs> not quite. Yeah. Yeah, well. And she's just looking for an excuse to get rid of him. So now there's going to be an opening at Anchor. And, of course, it's going to be Dexter because he's their most popular person. Mm-hmm. But Kate is like, that's not enough. We're going to promo the hell out of it. Not just an anchor, and but a co-anchor. we are going to have co-anchors with Dexter and Missy. And yeah, how are they going to promo it? They're going to get married on the air. Yeah, and meanwhile, um, Missy has already sewed discord between uh, Dexter and Toynell. Yeah. That's one of my favorite sequences in the movie. That's when we realize Dexter has no control over when he can... Because in Sorry to Bother You, Cash has one scene where he goes, I had no idea I wasn't doing the white voice. Yeah. But he does. it doesn't really take over his body the way Dexter just completely changes his, like, it's like a, it's actually, Dexter's transformation is more sci-fi than Cassius's. Cassius is just kind of in a sci-fi universe, whereas it only happens to Dexter himself in Living Large, is that he just completely transforms in mannerism and tone. Yeah, because again, to go back to the, the, the black dance, white dance motif, he begins to lose his, uh, his sense of rhythm. That is one of my favorite scenes is when they go to a club where the Jungle Brothers are performing. This is a good time to bring up Jungle Brothers because Dexter's best friend, Baker Moon, is played by Nathaniel Hall, whose name is also Africa. Yes. And he is a member of the Jungle Brothers. Tim, you would know the Jungle Brothers from that song after Battle Flag on Amp 2? Oh, okay. (laughs) I I have have all the references you need here. Is is that Respect Your Delph or another one? No, the one after that. It's the one that's called I'm a Jungle Brother. Oh, that that follows. Makes sense, huh? Yeah. Because that name is Africa Baby Bam. And in a weird dual role, like Shock G, uh, Humpty Hump kind of way, he plays his best friend Baker Moon and the Jungle Brothers appear, but he's playing Africa Baby Bam in the club scene. So it's not like Baker has a side job where he's in this popular rap group. He's just, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, that's that guy that looks like me. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you could make a whole other movie about that guy. Yeah. 
Um, so he's the uh, Baker is the narrator who's talking about how Dexter had all his love and community, and then he he has like all the great um, dialogue, like the brighter he got, the less he shined. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, awesome. Kind of the, uh, the Dexter's in trouble now. So during the club scene, they're performing a song which unfortunately is not on any of their albums. Jungle Brothers were the original, the originators of the Native Tongue Crew. Native Tongues, of course, gave us Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul. Jungle Brothers did not have a hit as big as them, but they did have the first nationwide hip house song. House music was big in Chicago, but not really bigger than that. And they had a song called I'll House You, which morphed the two and uh, took off. And they also worked with some guy named Q-Tip, who I think did some things after that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Jungle Brothers was before Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul and just got overshadowed by their friends. They kept recording, and they ended up doing an entire album in 2000 with Propeller Heads. Hmm. Which you already know all about, I'm sure. Nah, it wasn't very good. However, yeah. the fact that they did it with propeller heads means they were able to license several of their songs into teen comedies. Ah. So like bring it on like bring it on and get over it. And I think one night at McCool's had like Jungle Brothers propeller head songs in them. So uh It's pretty funny. Uh Charles Dexter Ward, uh Dexter Jackson. Who's who are you talking about? <laughs> He's a Lovecraft character. It's not important. Uh, I, I got you. <clears throat> yeah, um, so, I was like, that's not in the movie. So, so Dexter Jackson. Like but I believe the original anchor is named stories. Charles, so yeah. that's pretty funny. What's that? I believe the anchor that gets killed in the beginning is named Charles. Oh, well, there you go. So <laughs> I think there's a connection there. Ah. Um, so they're in the club in the middle of the movie, and Jungle Brothers performing. It's not on any of their albums. So Jungle uh, Brothers are performing. Jungle Brothers, um, I recommend Done by the Forces of Nature, but they're doing a song called 718 Kit. You can find that on YouTube as well. Um, it's not called I Ain't Sweating It, but that's the hook of the song. Yeah. So Jungle Brothers are um, performing, but one of the characters in the movie is also is also is one of the in a dual of role as yeah, a okay. member of the Jungle Brothers. So it's kind of like Ja Rule in Fast and Furious in that he's a yes. character in the universe who also wrote a song that is written exactly. by John Rule, who's not the yes. same person. All right, cool. <laughs> they're completely different people. Right. So <laughs> they're performing in Dexter and Toynell are dancing, and after all the other scenes of Dexter dancing, we are finally treated to the fact that Dexter no longer has rhythm <laughs> and is doing the offbeat snapping and flailing that the white people were doing at the uh, industry party a few scenes ago. Hmm. And Toynell is perplexed, to say the least. And also at the club is Missy, who has been dispatched by Kate to get Dexter's mind off of Toynell. Ah, cheese and crackers. Missy and Kate yeah. in cahoots. They're in cahoots. <laughs> Again, and there you, there you go with those sexually rapacious white women. Mm-hmm. That's, They're yeah, like, well, the only way for us to succeed is to completely um, sanitize this black man yeah. and ride his coattails to success. Huh. <laughs> wow we also we all should have seen this coming anyway <laughs> again this was 1991 oh yeah i mean this was back when they couldn't really like boys in the hood was two months old so they did not know how to market most uh black movies to the masses yet on the video cassette <coughs> of Live and Large, it actually says this is a comedy about going from hip-hop to straight to the top. 
So imagine a world where hip hop is the opposite of straight to the top. This is 1991. <laughs> like we can hip hop. That's not going anywhere. Uh, I don't listen to ethnic music. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah so I don't that's know anything about that hippity around. hop, rippity rap music. It, like the most popular, there was like, it was like Run DMC and NWA were like, <laughs> and Hammer and Vanilla Ice. Those yeah. were like the only rappers that had real and Beastie Boys. There were like five <laughs> rap groups. My attitude, yeah. I, I learned everything about rap from Bill McNeil, so. That's yeah, about the same. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, hip hop is still in the underground. Anyway, they're in the club. Dexter can't dance anymore, and Missy sees him and goes, "Why did you stop? You were amazing out there." <laughs> it's it's different standards. Yeah. So of course, Missy then takes Dexter to the dance floor. Toynell gets upset. The song they dance to after that is Slick Rick's "I Shouldn't Have Done It," which means he's about to do something he shouldn't do. Uh, uh, Rick is slick. He is slick. That's a great song. I'm feeling sad and blue. Anyway, um, so Missy whispers in his ear. I don't know what happens after. It doesn't really seem like, like it seemed like they were gonna do like a pootie tang kind of thing, where like she like seduces him or kicks him in the head or something. But really, she just takes him home and fucks him. It looks like. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. the net. It's like you blink, and then they're they're waking they're up in bed. in bed together, and mm -hmm. Toynell is flipping out. Yeah, in his white apartment. Yeah, which and that was a real. I really thought that was like, sorry to bother you. Like the apartment that Cassius was in when he yeah. blew up was mm -hmm. very white, like very Dexter Jackson's white, apartment. Yes. Yeah, because Dexter's uh, Dexter's digs just get wider and whider I do as like, the star rises. I do like the, when they introduced the complex the called like White Towers or something like. Yeah, it <laughs> like is. W H Y T. Yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah, like um, when his girlfriend is looking out the window, it's like, oh, you can see the projects from here. And that's as far away as I want to see him too. Yeah. Oh, Dexter. Like, Dexter, man, you changed. You're losing your way, man. No. <laughs> I also like this as so a nice time capsule for... Uh... The first time we get some, aside from the murder of an anchorman on the air, that's like the first uh, glimpse of cartoonish violence is when Toynell catches them in bed together. Yeah. And she just chases them around and Missy thinks they're about to be murdered. <laughs> yeah, I would She's just throwing her engagement ring back at him. Yeah. Uh, Tim, like, what were you gonna say? Oh, I did like how this is a nice time capsule back to a uh, '90s slang. Like, like whenever a character says "you the man," I feel like I'm watching Arsenio Hall. No, you the man. No, you the man. No, we the man. man. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great we the man. Yes, I think so... he even says it to the uh, the guy that's keeping the uh, Boy Scouts hostage at the beginning. He's like, "Give me the gun. I'm the man." No, you the man. You the man. You the man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to try to get him to give him the gun back. <laughs> so he gets it works. So if you're ever in a hostage situation, just tell the man with the gun that he's the man and he will turn over his weapon to you. That is another yeah, lesson, lesson we've learned. learned. Yeah. Good to know in these violent times we live in, too. Right. Yikes. Um, yeah, so I guess, uh, you know, Missy just makes her move. and um, yeah, She just fucks him. Yeah, and it's it's actually a pretty a pretty amusing performance. I think um, this, this actress... Well, it's a good reveal, too, the, because... The, Julia Campbell. Yeah. yeah, this actress Julia Campbell. Um, I guess I guess she's best known as the kind of a villainess in uh, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Yes, and but, she's um, also in real life she's married to the actor who played Dutch on The Shield. Oh, well, there you go. And she did uh, appear in the final episode. I think is someone who was um, reporting a crime, and I think he was going to go out with her. It was towards the end of the series. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and um, she's uh. 
uh, it's kind of funny because you know, obviously, she's a very attractive woman, but there is something like almost cartoonishly gawky about her as well, mm-hmm. which makes her like kind of a good a good foil for for yeah. Dexter because she she's just... not that bright because I think yeah. she confuses the Carolinas with the Dakotas when she's doing the weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then and then she turns out to be um, pretty much a, a Southern Belle. Yeah. With Gone with the Wind meets Superfly. Yeah, they basically picture uh, as, as a Scarlet O'Hara type for her um, for her cooked up wedding, and of course mm-hmm. she turns out to have horrible parents. They're extremely, extremely ra- like more racist than any white <laughs> character has been to this point. Yeah, and I mean it. it the, when when uh, the situation deteriorates, like in in the climax of the movie, um, the preacher, uh, her father, actually, I think, refers to Dexter as boy. Yeah. Well, I mean, even when he meets them, the he shakes the mother's hand and she just faints, and they're like, "Oh no, he shook her hand!" <laughs> oh, no, are they gonna like? Yeah, it's that one drop rule. Shaking his the mother's hand. They're like, "This guy's a joker." Like, so they're really, really really racist yeah and i mean um you know probably uh, i'm sure that has a lot to do with the um because the movie has a definite sense of place it definitely takes place in atlanta yeah um i think that which you don't see very often i will say that yeah Yeah. like sorry to bother you is is kind of a just a now uh it's it does seem appropriate that it takes place in oakland i don't know why but yeah because sorry to bother you oh i guess because it's the ghetto part of silicon valley well, you, I mean, <laughs> oh, I, can't I don't know why that. I laughed so hard at that, but um, <laughs> why not? Um, yeah, um, sorry to bother you. Also, has a sense of place, but it's you know the opposite coast. It's Oakland, which is a um, um, Oakland is a place which has become increasingly gentrified. It's the next target after San Francisco has been decimated. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. they're like, oh, now we can't afford to live here either. Where's another place that we could go and? Um, destroy all the original residents and, and take over it. So Oakland is in, Just in flux with that right east. now, which is why there are a couple movies about that region right now there. I heard Blind Spotting is good. I have not seen that yet. Yeah. But that's another one set in Oakland. Yeah. Um, yeah, geez. just just pushing everyone east till they're in Fairfield or something. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, where, where I mean, the... The, the black flight mostly went to Solano County and, and Concord and Antioch. I don't know where we're going to go after that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's true of, of Antioch, definitely. We'll, we'll go to Davis there. and they'll be very surprised. Ooh, that would actually, I would actually love it if um, they flooded into Davis because, like, mm-hmm. all the, like... Davis is a college town. How are you going to manage that? Well, all the fucking, like, <laughs> old white nimby hippies living there like they would just yeah. shit their pants and it would be great yeah. it would be good for that well maybe they can go up to uh to northern california aka jefferson oh no <laughs> yes all of life we're gonna go to wairica yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure those same people would be <clears throat> perfectly happy if we had like a black state yeah <laughs> Oh my God! Somebody, like, why should, not? Somebody should start New Wakanda, like right next to Jefferson. Don't, don't, don't no. Then they would call it Wakanda. <laughs> that would fucking own. I would, yeah. I would funnel money to that. I would, is, I would be like Gene Seberg, and I would. This funnel is, money this is to starting that to make me nauseous. <laughs> 
You know what's really funny? Uh, I thought this was a joke in the movie because I was 12 years old when I saw it, yeah. or 13, and I didn't know that this was actually Atlanta's slogan. So when they were promoting the uh, the wedding of their first interracial uh, co-anchors, they were like, Atlanta, the city too tired to hate. I was like, ha ha! Oh, yeah! <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, that was really their slogan? That's not good. Wow. Which is, uh, that's... um Too lazy to be stupid. Too busy that's to hate. Sorry. Out. That's kind of a great little aside because like it almost ties in with um you know the capitalist dystopia of sorry to bother you and the idea that um you know the rising tide lifts all boats and the free market will buoy us all up regardless of class or color yeah yeah it's funny that atlanta just <clears throat> at least acknowledges it There's we like, don't have time to be racist could. yeah we're busy trying to make everyone else poor yeah, yeah <laughs> like we're we're too busy working three fucking jobs and living yeah. in a garage yeah to be racist yeah <laughs> <laughs> Come to or or we're too busy selling out our friends for news stories. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The lard. How yeah. could you? Yeah. How could you, Dexter? Yeah. You want so to be by popular, the time he's don't you? To the wedding. All of his friends. He's lost his fiance. He's got Baker put to the hospital because one of their friends has gotten out of prison, and he tells him that he's going to get out and steal a car. So he does a story on it, and of course they know Baker did it. So he. Beats him yeah. up and sends him to the hospital. I bring this up because this is one of my other favorite scenes in the movie that I've been referencing this entire time. I yeah. think that'll all be cut, so this will be the first time you've heard this reference. But yeah. uh, in this serious scene where his best friend and narrator is like, "I'm done with you," um, he's in a like body cast or like his arms. He's all fucked up in the hospital, and the guy next to him is, I guess, blind or he's also incapacitated. So anytime anyone comes in the hospital room, he goes, Ruby, is that you? <laughs> and so this joke happens repeatedly throughout the scene. And it's a fairly serious scene where he's like, I don't want to deal with you anymore. Get away from me. Yeah. And the, the music, the Herbie Hancock score is pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, he leaves. He's standing outside the hospital room. He's despondent. And then you see this woman go in. She's dressed pretty nice. I was like, I bet this is Ruby. <laughs> and we don't go in the room with him again because the scene's over, but you hear the man in the room going, Ruby, is that you? And the woman goes, oh, who you think it is, fool? Fuck you, Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he found Ruby. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a, there's a, if the movie had been bigger, we probably would have got a movie with those two, like, like a spinoff or something. <clears throat> the reference Ruby, to is that days. you? <laughs> They could have. They could have been the Ropers of uh, yeah. Living Large. Yeah. Yeah. So Dexter has lost all of his black <laughs> friends, and now he lives in Fairfield. Oh wait. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dexter has lost all of his black friends, so all he can do now is marry Missy to become a news anchor and achieve his dream, at the cost of losing his entire soul. Yes. Mm -hmm. His and his hallucination is a full-blown, like cartoonish, blonde-haired, blue-eyed. Yeah, white like me. Yeah. yeah he kind he of looks like what Michael Jackson didn't look like yet. Mm. <laughs> like, Michael Jackson still had, like, a regular face at this point. It was almost gone, but he still had... This was worse than what Michael... This I think he saw... Maybe Michael Jackson saw this and goes, You know what? That's what I should do next. <laughs> that's what I want to look like. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, he didn't see it as, like, a harbinger. He's like, yes, that's a, that's a role model. I'm going to be like that. <laughs> Yeah, so Dexter basically has a psychotic break at his own yes. sham wedding. Um, and I believe it's, um, there's a point where his uh, his shadow self uh, actually like hurls... The shadows a... aren't white, Jen. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> what about the white shadow, Tim? Ooh, what about the shadow that we already brought up? Oh yeah, that's right. Shit. Um, you know, withdrawn. His... Yeah. <laughs> so his hallucinated self basically like actually flings a racial slur at him. You're nothing but a nigger. Like, who are you calling a nigger? So he's just arguing, and no one else can hear this but him. Yeah. He's just yelling yeah, at the can... screen. I'm black. I'm black. I'm black. And Baker is going to go. Everybody knows you black, man. Yeah, like, <laughs> who are you shouting at? Yeah. He's literally just had just a complete break on camera. Yeah. Which and he's is yelling at the ratings. screen that is apparently called himself. So like they even his like white part like he doesn't even he uses the hard R yeah. N word, yeah. and Dexter does not. So they're completely like two halves of himself that have started arguing with themselves uh, like Gollum and Smeagol. So a lot of people did watch this movie because there's a lot of later <laughs> movies that have taken themes from this. Is, yeah, some popular themes that, re- that re- sure resonated outside the Live 90s. And large. Well, few know that uh, that Tolkien was actually inspired heavily by Live and Large. Yeah, mm-hmm. Wing Nuts uh, Films produced Live and Large. Yeah, not, not just Lord of the Rings, but also the Silmarillion. Yeah. Well, originally, Smeagol wasn't looking at his reflection. He was looking at a TV screen during his own sham wedding. Yeah, he was looking at a video monitor, which he then um, hurls to the ground. Yeah. What is is a slur for a halfling? Nothing but a goddamn golem. Who are you calling a golem? (laughs) But yeah, and then everything um, descends into uh, delightful... um, I would would call it 80s movies chaos because... um, It's very 80s movies. In some ways, culturally, 1991 were still in the 90s. And this is how I remember... Yeah. Unofficially, the '90s probably started when the uh, the '90s started LA with hypercolor, <laughs> which had not happened yet. So, which had not happened? They had not. They didn't happen until April '92. Yeah, this was late '91. Yeah, there you go. So the '90s had. I don't even think the Gulf War had happened yet. No, that was '91. When this movie was, or was it '91? Was it? Yeah, that's a good question. No. Okay, uh, we're really bad with this. I think. <laughs> I think we invaded Kuwait in like 1990. Uh, yeah, August uh, August second, 1990. Okay, so uh, there was a little bit of that in there. Hmm. I don't know what that had to do with anything. Well, just just so <laughs> you know, we're... if anyone ever asked when did the Since US this is a, Kuwait? a movie about news, maybe we should know what was going on. In the world <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I, it's are... kind of a local news. It's mostly Atlanta. Either way, the culture was very 80s informed because it was 1991. Yeah, yes. and that's why that's why you get that kind of point where the movie breaks down and everybody just starts running around with like chickens yeah. with their heads cut off. Yeah. Pretty much, <laughs> like the two producers at the beginning are fighting each other for some reason because they think Dexter's lost it. No, he hasn't. They just start like strangling each other. Yeah. Um. This is, and uh, Toynell has been let loose, set loose on Kate and Missy, and she if she catches them, uh, Dexter uh, gets the mic at one point and goes, "What will you do when you find them?" I'm gonna kill the bitches. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and uh, Kate is really afraid to catch a beat down from Toynell. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. Toy- Toynell doesn't look like she's ready to fuck around at all. No. <laughs> she doesn't really kill them, but when she does get to them, like Kate, like falls to the ground and her eyes are crossed, and it seems like she's comatose. I was like, maybe she is dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just got her in the sweet spot. Missy was just there crying, but Kate was just like out. Like her eyes were open, <laughs> and she was just—I was like, maybe she is dead. She actually had a traumatic brain injury. Yeah, I think so. Just, yeah, just caught her right in the temple. 
<clears throat> it's like when you punch somebody in the chest and like you hit the right spot to just stop their heart instantly. Yes. <laughs> you learned Pi Maze five point exploding heart <laughs> technique. <laughs> but anyway, as the um the the sham marriage obviously does not come off, um, and Dexter is reconciled with Toynell. And he apologizes to all of the people he threw under the bus to become famous. Yeah. And in very 80s fashion, they're all watching him on TV, even though apparently they all don't like him anymore, yet they're still watching him on television. Because that's what I you do. watch lots of TV. Yeah, they were watching just to bust on him, probably. <laughs> yeah. Him getting married to his white bitch. They're like, this is the last time we ever watch Dexter Jackson, unless he has a change of heart during this wedding. <laughs> well, it's what like, a coincidence. Uh... Wasn't it like people who hated Howard Stern, who was also popular at the time? Like he was. people, people who hated him listened more than people who liked him. That's so true. Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. he tapped into that. Yeah. So everyone he had wronged was watching, and they just like, oh, he's okay. He's he's our Dexter Jackson again. <laughs> he's our Jackson again. Yes, oh, and then goodness. he he goes to co-anchor with the very dignified. Clifford Worthy, Ta-da! who has also learned a bit of the street, according to the we finale. We do be down, <laughs> which I believe was never a, a slight. Like I don't know if that was ever a thing that people said. I believe it was not. Well, but well I'd like to was, be down, but it was cooler than every other white person. I bet if we ever saw he doesn't dance in the movie because he's busy drinking in the back every time we see him. But yeah. if he did dance, I bet he snapped on beat. <laughs> because Just he did found... be down. I don't. I've never heard anyone say we do be down except for Clifford Worthy. Well, you know, Quincy Jones had a song called "We Be Doing It." No, that's probably where I got the idea. Yeah. But we do be down. I've never heard. I remember <coughs> "Don't Be Down." Uh huh. Uh huh. That was growing pains. Mm-hmm. No. Well, well, I know. I I want to be down. Well, yeah, you That's know, brandy. You know, you know how white people are. You know, they get like a little bit of slang and they kind of <laughs> don't get it right, but they do it anyway. Yeah. I know what I'll do. I will use the, the verb to be incorrectly so he will know that I am with him. You, you know, <laughs> I'm, kept, I'm with it. it it's, it's, it's true all across the land. Parents just don't understand. <laughs> I think that applies here. But Clifford Worthy did be understand. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I also I be understand. I'm also gonna assume that off camera he got like he went to the Betty Ford clinic or something and got treated yes. for his alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Is is if we be down is that like I'll be sure? Are they related? Something like that, oh, okay. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I've never heard anyone say we do be down except in that movie. All right. Well, that movie was very. Um, I mean, it was it was it was trend setting. I mean, it was setting a trend that no one followed, but mm-hmm. it, it, it was in the zeitgeist. And yet, it still made three times what Pootie Tang made. Amazing. Well, Pootie Tang wasn't finished when it got released, so Pootie Tang still isn't finished. Well, yeah, I mean, the takeaway is you know that it's very that... low budget. It's very funny. There's scenes of like Dexter getting chased by a dog, and I'm going, "Cripes!" And <laughs> dogs fucked me. <laughs> yeah, which is that's that's, that's another an, one. Yeah. That's another trope, and to the point where I've like seen it on Vine. Is you getting have, chased by dogs? Yeah. Huh. Like, uh, where did that start? That's a really good question. It started when it someone let the party. dogs out. Hello. <laughs> oh my goodness! No, <laughs> they did it in House Party. They must have done it in many movies in the eighties. There's a lot of eighties tropes. 
like the anchor getting shot on the air. That happened in all the 80s movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the original trendsetter being our Bud Dwyer. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, it's going to hurt somebody. Now, uh, there is some slang that no, that didn't come up from Living Large that I say all the time. It's from the dog chasing scene. Okay. And um, Baker is still narrating. He says, that dog was a pain in Dexter's booty butt. <laughs> and I like that's a pain in the booty butt I like that and I wish people had seen Living Large so that would catch on so everyone watched Living Large so pain in the booty butt can, can catch on finally yeah, yeah everyone watched we'll Living Large um, you know go see also go see Sorry to Bother You which is actually very good and then definitely um, see Sorry to Bother You you should probably talk about that yeah meditate on the fact that uh, we're facing a lot of the same issues as a society Mm-hmm. Um, you, you 27 think, years on. You saying that the lowest social classes haven't advanced as much as the rich ones? You saying I have to marry the the white weather lady? <laughs> <laughs> it's in your contract. Read your contract, Sean. Yeah. That's one of my one of my other favorite things is that Baker is eternally his running gag is that every time he sees Missy, he's just trying to get at her, and he just calls her weather lady. Like, hey, weather lady, come here, weather lady, don't run from me. <laughs> he's, he's not even running. He just like. It's like a Pepe Le Pew thing where he just calmly walks behind her and she just scurries off. <laughs> Don't cry, Weather Lady. <laughs> so when I saw her on the shield decades later, I was like, oh, it's Weather Lady. <laughs> Still working. So there's another there's another nice little bit of history about Living Large. Did you look at who the director of Living Large was? Yeah, and um He's got a great pedigree. Yeah, he does. Like he, um, this is uh, Michael Schultz, mm-hmm. who is uh, an American director who um, started in theater in the '60s. Yeah, um, had a very distinguished theater career. Um, also, then direct- the '70s happened. Yeah, and he directed um, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. He did, <laughs> but in between his illustrious theater career and his Sgt. Pepper thing. Uh, he did what most uh, acclaimed uh, performers and classically trained uh, theater people had to do if you were black in the '70s, which was make black exploitation movies. Yes. Damn. Uh, there's a movie that I've never seen, and my mother has never seen, called "Honey Baby, Honey Baby," also known as Three Days in Beirut," <laughs> uh, where Diana Sands of A Raisin in the Sun wins a trip to Beirut on a game show. This already sounds strange. What the hell kind of who wins a trip to Beirut on a game show? Well, um, so this came out. This came out in seventy four. So this was uh, this was before the the civil war in Lebanon, right? Oh, back when Beirut was a tourist destination. So maybe that was less. So it's kind of like charade. Yeah. So maybe it was less. I mean, my 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 dad actually went. But she's still like getting chased down by assassins. (laughs) (laughs) Oh well, there you go. So maybe they're like. They knew what was going on. Well, of course they knew what was going on because they probably had to get like CIA clearance to film in Beirut. <laughs> like you know, we're uh, starting a. Never mind. <laughs> we can't tell you. <laughs> you'll you'll find out when you get there. Don't worry about it. Oh well, yeah. So now I'm so now I'm really curious because it's like, was that shot on location? I'm probably not, but it was set in Beirut. So. It was shot in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> it's all. And the funny thing is, like. The uh, the person who's chasing her down is like a Chinese madam. So why is there a Chinese madam trying to kill her in Beirut? 
So the last person you suspect. That's it's black exploitation movie. Yeah. You don't really yeah. need explanations here. Is this just kind of like Resident some kung fu? Is this just kind of like Residue from the '60s, where um, you just set movies in locations that were exotic to the American audience? Yes. And they're like, oh, where have we gone? Uh, let's throw uh, Isle of Man. I'll throw yeah. I'll throw some bubble gum at this wall map. Uh, Beirut. Yeah. All right, yeah. I and you're going to this time of year. A Chinese woman, like, huh? <laughs> But yeah, you also, I mean, you know, we've been watching so much, uh, so many B-movies on our, on our Roku these oh, days. God, yeah. And there were like a shit ton of these kind of like, you know, not just like, you had this cross-pollination between like black exploitation and like kung fu movies and, you know, they took place in these, these uh, exotic places, you know, and then you had people you know, fighting with various martial arts style and there was international intrigue and international intrigue always means spies and shit. Of course. Sometimes even Asian people. Sometimes. Or people <laughs> pretending to be Asians. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> oh, like Sean Connery and you only look The original close. fake person ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, oh, so like White Girls then follows... Like the Wayans movie follows that tradition of like exotic cultures and... <laughs> Exactly. Like kung fu, yeah. You know, that when, exotic culture of sorority girls. When, when Dexter undergoes his his, his uh, transformation gets into whitewashed. a white person, he yeah. looks a hell of a lot like the white chicks. It's yeah. very similar makeup. Yeah. But I guess that's the As kind of grotesque effect. <laughs> Sorry, say again? As in, it's terrible makeup. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if that's just the effect that you get when you try to build white features onto African features. I don't know. Well, like, has, has like, old person makeup, has that ever looked good? Like, it always looks weird. That's Very just the nature rarely. of it. Yeah. Know? So. I mean, pretty much Rick Baker is the only person that's done makeup well, on. which is why Eddie Murphy kept hiring him. Yeah, well, right. there you go. Everyone else is like, I've got this nose. You're Jewish now. <laughs> but yeah so at any rate um you know we like so yeah there's so we got off the point a little bit but um this this director michael his, schultz his character gets more whitewashed the movie he, before uh, honey baby sounds even more it was like one of the first interracial romance movies and it was sam jackson's first movie and it was oh, no uh, called together for days and oh. then re-released later as black cream mm -hmm. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson said on, I think, one of the talk shows he was on that he could not find a copy of the movie. Oh, that's too bad. Well, the, the, the people... It was on Jay Leno. He yeah. can't find it anymore. Oh, black so cream. I don't know if you look for Together for Days or Black Cream. You'll find that one. <laughs> Probably easier to find Honey Baby, Honey Baby. Probably. But Michael Schultz did uh, try and sprinkle some social commentary in there, and he was still taken seriously, which is how I ended up getting... More successful movies like Cooley High, which is a great movie, and his biggest commercial success, Car Wash, yes, which is very funny. And Tim, you're gonna like this. Yeah, he directed Which Way Is Up. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> this will be well, I do enjoy that movie. Maybe <laughs> Tim's favorite line in that is enjoy. <laughs> and um, Which Way Is Up, uh, we'll briefly say is the closest thing Richard Pryor came to a, like a foreign artsy film and a nutty professor multiple role film yeah. and it's also about oh that's a pretty good uh, connection it's also about a prole yeah. who becomes successful and loses his way yeah. yeah because like I'm looking this movie up like number one it's based on a movie directed by Lena Vertmuller yes which is like is. what 
It is. <laughs> it's oh, is got... it like the virgin spring of black exploitation or something? <laughs> the seduction of Mimi. And um, it's got <laughs> it's got Richard Pryor playing these multiple roles, and it has to do with uh, uh, him getting involved with a union and a beautiful uh, union organizer. Yes. Wow. Yeah, until eventually. That's a great movie. Yeah, spoiler alert. He doesn't serious, know which way is up. Despite the fact that it involves like a preacher getting steamrolled. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask which movie that was. And they come about, they bring, bring him out, and he's in this really flat casket. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the last gag in the movie, and you're like, that's wrong. <laughs> this preacher's been hit by a steamroller, and he's in a flat coffin. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> yes, so. Which Way Is Up is also a movie. It's one of Richard Pryor's lesser-known movies because it's more serious and probably because it had some of those same themes about unionizing and, uh, well, guys, they say in the movie. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Losing your soul. And he also had multiple uh, families. He had two wives. Oh. And then he also cheated mm-hmm. on both was- of them. For revenge with the reverence. It's a very complicated... Well, you know, he's he's leading a double life. And, and like, yeah. the takeaway from this is, you know, you can't serve two masters. Well, well that's mm-hmm. not the right phrase. But... Like, he couldn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> he couldn't get any from his original wife, so then he ends up with another woman who does want him. Just like, don't ever cheat on me. But then he goes back and he can't sleep with his original wife who wouldn't sleep with him. But now she's liberated, so she wants to. Yeah, but he can't do it, so she pegs him instead, and this actually happens. Right? Yeah, yeah. You get the nice sound effect of the, uh, the it, dildo going muffled sound. It's a fantastic movie. Holy shit! I thought that Myra Breckenridge was the only uh, relatively mainstream movie to fe- feature pegging. No, no, it was in Which Way's Up. Sure, I think that we should probably loop Which Way's Up into this episode. Well, yeah. So, um, but well, this was because we were discussing um, films directed by Michael Schultz, right? Who uh, apparently has done more than one movie, you know, besides *Living Large*, that had. Um, he also uh, directed a T.D. Jakes mm-hmm. movie called *Women Now Are Loosed* in two thousand and four, but I don't think that has any of these themes, themes in it. Yeah. Right. No. But he's also, um, I think, if I'm, if I don't miss my guess, let me just check to make sure that I'm not talking to my ass. Um, yeah, it looks like um, he's worked more consistently in television. He's an acclaimed television director. His yeah. first big television thing was he directed um, Young, Gifted, and Black, which was the dramatized version of Lorraine Hansberry's life. Lorraine Hansberry was the first black woman to have a play produced on Broadway. She wrote Raisin in the Sun, which is a huge success, and it was kind of short-lived because she died of cancer in her 30s. Mm. So she took on kind of a mythic force. She had a theater named after her in San Francisco for a long time that uh, played a lot of independent black theater. So sometimes you get something really good, like a production of For Colored Girls, yeah, which was fantastic. And sometimes you get a play called Remembering Aunt Jemima, <laughs> and it was called Remembering because they actually dismembered her on stage. Sure. Like boxing Helena. I did not see this, but <laughs> my mom and my aunt, my grandmother came back and they're like, I don't know what we just saw. But <laughs> Aunt Jemima was uh, dismembered on stage and then put back together again. It was something about kind how of a Humpty her Dumpty image theme. was offensive and then not offensive. And I, I should have probably asked uh, my mom about that play if she remembers any of it. But yeah, apparently, at one point, she was dismembered and remembered on what? stage. It's like taking back. 
a certain epithet. Exactly. Right. So Lorraine Hansberry. So that was Michael Schultz's first big claim to fame, and it got him all of his other roles. And he directed pretty much, he's still directing for television. Yeah. Um, he has directed uh, shows like Once Upon a Time, New Girl, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Oh, yeah. And Gotta I believe watch that... Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah, and I believe it, you know, I mean, it makes sense because I think that in television you can work a little more consistently. Um, mm -hmm. It is often very difficult to get a feature started. Yes. Um, and a lot of times movies will be in development and then just not get made. So, you know, this is probably, I would say that television is probably his bread and butter. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. the T.D. Jakes movie he made was like the first movie he had directed, like the actual film he had directed since Live in Large. So... He was like, I don't need to do that. I can just do more television. <laughs> yeah. He, he worked all the way like Beretta, Rockford Files. He worked in directing television every decade, including this one. Do you yeah. think at some him. point he saw himself on a monitor as a very white person? <laughs> I don't think just so. By the virtue of the amount that he was working? <laughs> like... Yeah. Well, he is, uh, I believe, He's biracial. I believe his father was German? American? Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I only bring it up because of the theme of, you know, you know, uh, what's it? You know, he who fights monsters should, you know, caution himself against becoming a monster himself. Right. Uh, or maybe he just made this movie about a, a television anchor and saw, well, this man became a uh, famous anchor just by being in the right place at the right time. Maybe I should just, it's easy to get a job in television. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to do that. Yeah, I'm going to go movie stalk some uh, hostage situations and see what, what I drum up. <laughs> no, he was he was successful in um, television pretty much the entire time since that Young, Gifted, and Black TV movie. Right. He also did the televised, straight-to-television sequel to The Jerk. Yeah, The Jerk 2. Huh. T-O-O. -O. My goodness. Of course. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know about that. I, well, maybe it's Oh, best here's one that I found that was fantastic. He did a movie called Dale. Which, if you can believe this, was a Drop Dead Fred knockoff. Huh. Starring uh, Delta Burke. Who, who aspires who, to a Drop Dead Fred knockoff? Who gets help through her adult life when her imaginary childhood friend revisits, played by Elijah Wood. <laughs> so it's like a reverse uh, Wilfred. So yeah, this one was clearly him trying to just pay the bills. Yeah, yeah. I thought well, it happens. So. This was a year after Living Large, and yet the good thing is that's le that's more forgotten than living large and should be. Tarzan in Manhattan was another one he did. Yeah, sometimes it's forgotten. You're like, yeah. I'm oh, he directed an episode of Hammer, Slammer, and Slade, which was the TV series that was based on I'm Gonna Get You Suckas, uh, Isaac Hayes and Fred Williamson's characters. Oh, that wow. movie's funny. <laughs> it's a hilarious movie. It's very hilarious. <laughs> My the TV dad show bought that on VHS. We still have our VHS <laughs> copy as well. <laughs> so yeah um in spite of uh maybe his features not being um or his his feature living large not being well known uh michael schultz has forced himself quite a career not just yeah. in features but he in also directed the fat boys movie disorderlies oh well <laughs> why aren't we talking about that yeah that's a good question. <laughs> oh that's bonus a, episode that's yeah. a fun movie right there <laughs> disorderlies whips watch it <laughs> it does he also directed Carbon Copy which is probably the worst thing Denzel Washington and George Siegel ever did hmm. 
Together or just individually? Because both. Wow. Wow. Dick <laughs> Martin was in that. It's a movie where George Siegel finds out his son is Denzel Washington. Hmm. And hilarity does not ensue. <laughs> this is the actual movie poster. It's George Siegel looking befuddled with like his business jacket over his shoulder, like, oh no. Uh, and it says, I lost my job, my house, my Rolls Royce, my family left me. What else can possibly go wrong? And Denzel Washington standing next to him going, hi, dad. <laughs> I hear you're so a racist father. Very, very racist movie. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And even that made nine million at the box office. How is, well, wow. What else are people gonna do? Well, it was like in, it was like the mm. days when there were only like three channels on TV. So you know, yeah, you to watch it. Mm. For those of us who couldn't afford cable. <laughs> yes, even though you haven't seen, you probably haven't seen. Michael Schultz's film work, if you haven't seen Cooley Hire Car Wash or Which Way Is Up, you have probably seen his television work, which is illustrious. Yes. But uh, you can simply type Live in Large into the YouTube search bar and watch it and immediately. Laugh. And laugh, because yes. it's very funny. And eat. But um, are there any <laughs> further parallels that we want to draw between Live yeah, in Large and Sorry to Bother You? Do you have any time to talk about Sorry to Bother You? Or no. I do like I I do like the play on words that is his name. Yeah, That's Cassius the, Green. Yeah, which didn't hit me until a little bit after I saw the movie. Well, <laughs> they they kind of they help you along halfway through, yeah. like at his um when he's hanging out with his girlfriend at the club after he becomes wider. Like Dexter Jack Jack no. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't want to be that Dex. on Sexy Dex my ass. <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe they figure the rest of the movie is broad enough that they didn't they didn't want to cartoonishly. I think there is a connection, kind of uh, when Dexter and Baker are going, "You the man, you the man, you the man, the we the man." Yeah. When mm -hmm. uh, Cassius and his friend are like, "I hope you have a good." That's what I'm yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I hope you have a good day. I hope the rest of your year is filled with success. <laughs> no, I'm buying the drinks. No, you buying it. No, I'm buying the drinks. <laughs> I love that. Just random dick measuring. Yeah. But again, um. And they both have kind of their um, uh, performance art girlfriend, which I think brings it back to like Wanda Sykes and Poodle. What Kane. did Toynell do? Didn't Toynell just work at the uh, dry I cleaning think, place? Yeah, Toynell just seemed to be at the dry cleaning place. Yeah, she didn't really have a performing career. Yeah, yeah um, her her character wasn't that developed as much as um, as uh, shit Detroit. It's <laughs> an American name. <laughs> um. Sorry, what was the girlfriend's name? <laughs> Toynell. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry to bother you. It was Detroit. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I think that, that... She reminded me of Wanda Sykes and Pootie Tang. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, um, Toynell's character wasn't as developed as, as Detroit in uh, no. Sorry to Bother You. Um, you do see um, Detroit having a little bit of a journey of her own and that, you know, she's an artist and she gives her big... Um, she has her big art show and she puts on her own white voice. Uh -huh. the of the yeah, it's a certain, uh, certain. Oh, there's a good connection. I'm glad you brought that up. So in that fantastic scene where she does her art piece, yeah. and she asks them to throw things at her, at her, yeah, while she recites dialogue from The Last Dragon. <laughs> Guess who directed The Last Dragon? Michael Schultz. That is correct. <laughs> it all comes back. Wow, around. we set that one up real good. Damn. <laughs> I mean, it took the whole episode, but it worked. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, like how, um, I like how I like how I like how her art is actually kind of bad. It's terrible. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's kind of a send up of performance art. 
How how can you even send up performance art? Like, where's the line? <laughs> well, yeah, because her uh, like dialogue from the Last Dragon. I just start yeah. cackling when that happened. <laughs> yeah, because um, you know her, like her piece isn't even a parody. Like, it just could be a direct lift from. And you know, I'm not not to denigrate performance art necessarily. It's just I that... could hold forth on performance art. Well, but... Tim is actually an admirer of performance art, so yeah. Well, um, it's true. but I I have. Opinions on you it. do be down. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel okay, well, now we're gonna start saying it. Oh God! Hmm. I, you guys can. You guys can. Uh, when we pivot to video for the podcast, you guys can fist bump, and Tim can say, "We do be down." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and I feel like the uh, the art thing was maybe a little bit of, of a commentary on, um, you know, uh, commentary through art and versus direct action. Um, yeah. Because there's a point where um, they, the uh, the left eye group puts up this sculpture of... Um, they really like TLC. As Steve, as Steve I thought that was hilarious that they were using the left eye paint thing and left, like no one else in the theater was laughing. I was like, they're a left eye activist. Well, I thought it, I thought it was funny it was so too. Funny. And then I thought like, no, yeah, nobody else laughed. I was like, oh, maybe it's not a reference to left eye lobe. No, it was a direct reference. <laughs> yeah. And it was hilarious. Yeah, but, um, so they went around burning things down, right? Yeah, but basically... <laughs> oh, shit! <laughs> <laughs> That's why. That's why. There you go, yeah. But yeah, Left eye, bitches. <laughs> at one point, um, they put up a sculpture of Steve Lift, like, fucking a horse person. A horse person. person, yeah. And people are staring at the statue and just not knowing what the fuck it's about. And, uh, you know, Detroit, who obviously helped to make it, is, is standing there, like, kind of, like, snottily trying to explain it to the people. Mm-hmm. Where it's Maybe like, it's well, literal. Yeah. yeah, so it's is like... Is she using her Madonna, like, art voice for that? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So... Speaking of fake, legitimate voices. You know, and the, making, <laughs> making the point that, you know, art, like, art is fine, but it's not getting your message across as much as standing in front of the fucking, you know, headquarters... And I think the Onion posted something about that. <clears throat> it was about protesting Trump with your shitty outsider art. Yeah, like, um, yeah, because, you know, a lot of people said, like, oh, you know, with <clears throat> Trump in office, at least the art will be good. And it's like, no. And then we got um, Pod Save America. So yeah. they were right. <laughs> I did like I did like the big Trump baby balloon that they had in England just because I thought it was. Well, they cool. stole that from Roger Waters. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> he has all sorts of inflatables. Just because as a as a portrait artist, like I appreciate a good likeness, and that one was on point. Yeah. But yeah, like art isn't going to get you uh, the results against the upper classes, like direct action will, which yeah. is, um, ah. and that's where you get your one, your note of hope. And sorry to bother you, like when you know Squeeze says to the horse guy, "Same struggle." Like I actually teared up a little in the theater. Aww. Well, I mean, they're all working class, basically. Like, they're making yeah, money for their boss. they are. And I mean, it's a guy talking to a horse furry. But, but on the plus side... But it still swelled my heart. So good job, Boots Riley. But good on the job. plus side, you get a horse cock And also, I guess years. there is a connection because the solution in Live and Large and Sorry to Bother You ultimately is cartoonish violence. Yeah, which, you know... Wow. They saved the day. That's a lesson we can all take away from this. Video. I mean, I wish Steve Lift had been like trying to leave his house, and then Loretta Devine was staying in the doorway. Uh uh-uh, uh, you gotta stay and get yours. <laughs> <laughs> I like that they were like Loretta Devine standing in the doorway. We can't get past her. 
Yeah. Just one person is standing in the doorway and she's got her hand on her hip. Oh no, we're stuck. Well, would you try? I wouldn't try. No. Loretta <laughs> Divine is not to be fooled with. <laughs> yeah, um, geez. There's so much to talk about with something with, with Sorry to Bother You. Um, the audience last night, they were, that I saw it with last night, they were enjoying it. Um, some people seemed a little confounded by it because I did hear a guy behind me say, this is stupid. Well, <laughs> you kind of feel that up until, like, the third act when, again, like, cartoon violence ensues. Because there's a point where it kind of feels like just another minor episode of Black Mirror or something. But then it goes off the rails and I'm like, this is what I'm looking for. This is a, a yeah, I mean, the beginning video. really is more of a mirror of Live and Large or the other movie around the early 90s called Strictly Business where there was a successful black man who was basically seen as a sellout by all of his black friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of wrote like a... But it also reminded me of, of course, being John Malkovich, which was deceptively simple and then yeah. just got extremely crazy. It really reminded me a lot of being John Malkovich. It's I'm very, not very sure why, but yeah. Yeah, and like... I couldn't be the only person that noticed that like the cubicles in their place were very similar to what the cubicles in Worry Free looked like when they would have like wide shots of it. Yeah, yeah. So like you're still in a prison even though you get to go home. Well, I guess it's that. Thing and again, of being like that's. that's in, a... I guess it's that thing of being set in um, a a sci-fi dystopia, which is pretty much where we live. Yeah, yes. it's like, show me something I haven't already seen. Like, I'm already, like, hip and down. I, I be down with yes. a lot of the... the with the but struggle he wants of to be downer. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like, I get it. Like, yeah, you were at a call center, you know, making peanuts for a, like, you know, for an amoral corporation just to, like, yeah. help make them money. Like, yeah, that's kind of the... the and it is pretty... The, the craziest thing to me was that life just continued on after the discovery of... Yeah. Uh, the uh, Equisapiens. The horse furries. The horse cock yes. people, yeah. They're like, yeah, what do we do? I don't know. Let's keep trying to get our union so we can afford to work <laughs> and have art and throws. Like, all right. Like, yeah, because I mean. It's, it's, again, it's one of my favorite genres of movies is people going through uh, extreme trials and tribulations for a low hanging brass ring. Oh, <laughs> like the uh, $10,000 in uh, sneakers? Yes, 150,000 <laughs> split seven ways. Man, that like, isn't even Chapo Trap House money. Yeah, that's, no. you know, $20 for a car payment, $40 or like, for the house payment. I don't know payment. how much money. I believe they got through mess. They got like $500,000 for the yeah. rest of their lives to live in Mexico. But the point the point of sneakers is they managed to drain um, the, the RNC's, RNC's uh, bank account, coffers. Yeah. Yes. And give it all the fucking... ACLU or some shitty Libigs organization. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the United Negro College Fund, which is still called the United Negro College Fund. <laughs> they're, they're taking back the word for college. Fund, yeah. mm-hmm. I was I was watching a video. Um, DMX was um, was talking some uh, straight truth about the current state of hip hop, and that his um, assessment of it is basically it's it's like disco now. In that it's um, very it's disco and hair metal. Yeah, in that it is kind of it. It feels like uh, the same problem that you know Dexter Jackson is going through, where you know, sort of like as as Lard would would put it, first we form our habits, then they form us. Where yes. he he tries to start living large in this news organization, that then causes him to then ape the tropes of that news organization in the same way that hip hop sets up a certain expectation of a particular lifestyle that you then ape. 
um, barring all authenticity. Yeah. You exaggerate to a cartoonishness, and then your cartoonishness becomes the norm, which is then aped and exaggerated more cartoonishness. Yeah, it's kind of this feedback loop and this lack of authenticity, because he's yeah. talking about... And then you end up with an Australian woman with a cartoonishly large ass, sounding right. like a woman from Tennessee. <laughs> he's talking about, like, why don't we have more, like, you know... He talks about the message, and he's talking about, like, why don't we have more, like, more acts like Run DMC or KRS-One or, or something to that effect. And, yeah, like, it's... It, it, it is that... that um, a diametrically opposed thing of like, you know, give the people what they want versus, mm-hmm. you know, do you want to be a role model and do you want to speak, yeah. you know, truth and, and be legitimate and, you know, le- legitimate and, and have ethics that you then bring to yeah. elevate your, your and name. also back then, you know, you could say what you want, because as I said earlier, hip hop was not marketed to the masses. Hip hop was the opposite of straight to the top. So mm-hmm. you could have yeah. public enemies saying what they wanted to say against corporate sponsored radio and ice cube being very very five percenter adjacent yeah and you could have party rap you could have political rap because it was basically just marketed to the urban like people in the streets and then they're like we should market this to the entire world and make (laughs) a lot of money yeah so then you can't program like you can have that music but you can't get it signed to a label which is how arrested development was like a critical darling one year and they're like oh you keep you want to keep doing things about Afrocentrism and owning your own property? Like, no, 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 no. We're going to yeah. sell. <laughs> yeah, we can't uh, sell guy, that. We're going to talk about this guy singing about shooting his enemies and then going to the East Side Motel. We don't need you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the music still exists, but, like, the the impetus to fund it is gone. Yeah. Because it's probably where SoundCloud rappers came from is, like, uh, we can do this ourselves now. Yeah. So SoundCloud is the ultimate savior in this. But the thing is, is that SoundCloud is, rappers, is... kind of going back to that thing about, um, you know, how things become more cartoonish, like um, like SoundCloud rappers come off almost as like... Well, they aren't literally like setting the tone. They're aping the... Uh, yeah. They, they kind of almost come off as like, again, like cartoon characters. Yeah. Many of them. Yeah, they're, they're following the mold set by more established rappers to be like, oh, this is the way you do it? I'm going to copy that too. It's like, well, we've got a hundred of you. Like, how are you going to stand out? Yeah. I don't really like that there's a genre of music named after a website. Like, what are we going to have next? We're going to have like the Tinder uh, Tronica. The, uh, next, the next hot thing um, Mastodon Tango. Oh Planet Starbucks. <laughs> Pinterest Polka Axe. <laughs> I mean, axe. I mean, axe. axe. <laughs> this is an axe. axe. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, yeah, there, I mean, SoundCloud rappers are a very broad term of just, it. the the general term means, like, artists like Lobo, Lobo, Lobo. who are, or Lobo. anyone with Lil in their name with, like, cartoonish hair, and they talk about, like, counting money and being high. Like, like, how did you get all this money, like, doing this, basically? Like, Some it's not high. like they had a, like, back in the day or whatever, we were like, yeah, I used to hustle and sell drugs, now I made it, now I was money. Now they're just like, I have all this money. Like, do? Yeah, I thought it was. <laughs> well, I, I, I have a lot of Instagram followers, yes. <laughs> I, I monetized was... my accounts. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was all about, like, having, like, um, like, my little pony tattoos on your face and like being on xanax yeah, all the time and then like dying on snapchat 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it's, it's like it's, kind, it's a mixture of, of like, like I said, disco and disco and hair metal, and actually emo. Like the, a lot of the music actually sounds like Lincoln Park. Could it? Could it sound like? <laughs> Could this be like the kind of mirror universe of Live in Large where it doesn't have a happy ending where he does sell out and he does like marry the Southern Belle and become completely white? Like, is that SoundCloud right? It hasn't happened yet, mm-hmm. but it could. Well, and that's the other thing. Like, the, the, the thing about like being a SoundCloud rapper is kind of this. Well, I mean, it's the same thing as being like a YouTube personality where you have like two or three people who make like a million dollars a Trendsetters, year. Trendsetters, yeah. Um, and then you have a bunch of other people like struggling and maybe maybe who are popular but n- are not making enough money to like to live on. Yeah. You know, which is that's a very late capitalism thing. It's kind of yeah. funny too that, um, that they have a viral hit and then they don't have anything. Yeah. Followers. Yeah. I mean, they have followers but they don't have they go to like a club and like 100 people show up. Yeah. It's it's kind of um interesting too how it's <coughs> it's convenient that um Sort of the the metric by which one sells out is very easily telegraphed in Live and Large. It's um it's it's very obvious. One might even say black and white. But then you might yeah. But then I mean, as as a uh, as a white person, like it's harder to convey that I think in media where it's you know where there is a uh, a progression where you kind of begin to lose yourself, like lose your integrity as lose yourself. Yeah, hey. yeah, that guy was able to do that. How did spaghetti, he? Spaghetti, spaghetti, spaghetti. <laughs> My name is Eminem. I give girl Eminem. I can't I'm believe sweaty, you just saw spaghetti. that for the first time this year. I, the sofa. I it's slept a classic. On, I slept on everything good, Sean. Eminem, Eminem, Eminem. Oh my! Oh god. my god! <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I'll show it uh, to it's you. It's a classic yeah. vine of Eminem's battle in 8 Mile, but it's just overdubbed with him saying Eminem, Eminem, Oh, it's like rap, rap. A rap, rap, <laughs> yes. rap. A rapity rap, rap. Or the exactly legendary like rap that. song in Sorry to Bother You, <laughs> which uh, apparently not to be repeated here. Oh, my goodness. I, I that thought... was the best. It, that was better than Scary Movie's instance of white people yelling nigga out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, cried laughing at that scene in the movie because yeah. it was so apt. And then mm-hmm. I got paranoid that, you know, like I was this like. That, that was going to be a hit song. Well, <laughs> no, it's really catchy. I mean, like what I was this, say? I was this, I was a solitary white woman in a theater full of POC, like laughing really hard at the the soft racial slur. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I saw it, uh, between the laughing, I went, "Oh, he's become Kendrick Lamar." <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm yelling nigga in front of a bunch of white people, but don't you say it. Yeah, don't say Like, oh my goodness, you mean everyone here just wants to say the N-word? What have I done? <laughs> like, oh, it's a forbidden I did not fruit. expect this. Welcome to Twitter. I did not expect one of my non-black fans to come up and want to say the lyrics to the songs I've been writing. <laughs> did not expect that at all. It's like that Jim Brewer bit in that uh, Chris Rock CD from ages ago. He's talking, now? huh? Jim Brewer. Yeah, he he did a he was one of the uh, guest voices on a Chris Rock CD where he's talking about. Oh yeah, hair. yeah. <laughs> anyway. That I don't have memorized, but if yeah. you want to do the Ruby is that you scene again, I, <laughs> <laughs> I can do that one. 
Huh, anywhere, is there anything else that we want to say about either Live in Large or Sorry to Bother You, two films strangely intertwined across 27 years? Uh, you, you be you, you know? I'd be down. Yeah, you'd be down. Be down. <laughs> you be down with you. Ruby, do that be you? <laughs> be down with you. If this is the only Wilson's person really worth being on down. The ground floor of the hip hop movies. He did uh, Crush Groove, which was like one of the classic uh, old school hip hop movies. It was basically like everybody, like New Edition, Beastie Boy, the entire uh, Def Jam label was on in that. Oh yeah. Run yeah, DMC, Chris... Beastie Boys, L Cool J. Yeah, because Crush Crew was really critically acclaimed. So he directed that as yeah. well? Yes. Oh, shit. So he was on the ground floor of the hip-hop. Uh, he was basically the driving force of hip-hop too straight to the top. He gave us <laughs> Bustin' Loose and Disorderlies. <laughs> I remember Disorderlies. God, I love that movie. <laughs> they used I to mean, play it on HBO every day after school. It's no hot to trot, but... Oh, Everyone's my. got their thing. Well, that's know. a... That's a whole different thing. Yeah. But yeah, those were like the first two movies starring rappers that were mass marketed, aside from B Street. Yeah. Which then gave us, um, what was the next one? I believe it was New Jack City and Boys in the Hood. There you go. So thanks, Michael Schultz, and thank you for all of your great directing. I hope you get to do some more Crazy Ex-Girlfriends soon, because I love that show. I hope he has a great year. (laughs) <laughs> I hope he has an excellent year Nothing <laughs> but success comes to him <laughs> I hope he gets to direct a play again He hasn't re- He did like check off and stuff like that It's weird that you're like I was doing Waiting for Godot And now I have to do like A Richard Pryor movie About a black NASCAR racer <laughs> that I've never heard of Until like this morning <laughs> <laughs> Yeah well that's um gonna blow up big the searcher prior film was gonna be straight fire but yeah there's a lot of obscure things that we brought up that you should check out living large yes sorry to bother you probably isn't that obscure right now but it is not getting marketed that well because of the themes because it's they're like is this this year's get out like no because get out wasn't about like organizing yeah (laughs) so they're probably not gonna market it to everybody that well yeah that's actually dangerous yeah, yeah, because um, Sorry to Bother You almost amounts to pro-union propaganda grafted onto a dystopian setting. Yeah. Even the Wikipedia page for Sorry to Bother You calls it Marxist propaganda. I'm like, damn straight. Oh, that <laughs> rules. <laughs> like, that's cool. Oh, I'm sure he's like, make sure it says Marxist propaganda on my shit, man. <laughs> Sean, you know what we forgot to do? Uh, talk shit about um, that website. <laughs> we forgot to talk about um, uh, the negative uh, review. Yes, that you wanted to drag. I found a review of Live in Large. Uh, that was did you? Oh, the review of Live. That's right. It was contemporaneous. That was Owen Gleiberman. Yeah, Owen Owen Gleiberman uh, wrote this for Entertainment Weekly. He was basically the popcorn movie reviewer throughout the nineties. So, like, if you wanted to know if Jurassic Park was good, he was the guy you called. But I don't know if, if he understood what Live and Large was going for at all. Yeah, and um, I won't. The, it's this is two paragraphs, but I still won't read the whole thing. Uh, but I'll get to the point. Um, he says, "Live and Large, a satirical racial farce, starts starts off with a bang." 
Uh, and then he goes on to describe... Literally. How... Yeah, yep. hey. He goes on See, to... See, that's just good writing. <laughs> I, I hope that guy won the Pulitzer. Pulitzer Prize. Um, so <laughs> he, he goes on to explain how Dexter gets his, his chance. And uh, how, does he get, how does he get his groove back? That's what I want to know. He goes... He's, and he describes it as, uh, this sequence has a free-spirited anarchic zap that recalls Brian De Palma's early comedies. Okay. What, were, what were De Palma's early comedies? Uh, sisters. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, Raising Cain. <laughs> I mean, Mission Impossible was kind of funny. <laughs> um, Dress to Kill? Carrie? Carrie <laughs> like, was Scarface really funny. funny? When, yeah. when the hand comes out of the grave, I thought I'd die. Well, yeah, yeah. With all the blood at the uh, prom. <laughs> I think he means like the '60s <laughs> movies that I have not seen. Yeah, I know. You got me, but I don't. You know, I don't yeah. know. Um, all the blood at the junior prom, although it doesn't taste like blood. <laughs> something called Dionysus in '69. Oh, that my side split. <laughs> oh my God! It's the Bacchae. Uh, that's that's. Theater. Oh, Jesus. Doctor no. says I need a bacchiotomy. I was. <laughs> okay, you have to keep me cackling at him saying that, please. <laughs> I think I hurt something. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, you know, and then he, just, he goes on to describe, um, you know, the basic plot, the idea is that he has to turn white to be successful. And then I'll just read the rest of it. There may be truth in this premise, but as satire, it's a great big downer. Well, yes, I would say that um, racial prejudice in society is a fucking downer. It is a downer. You know, the more, movie yeah, is not a downer. That's good or bad. Yeah, like more, I mean, maybe you should give credit to people who made the movie that they managed to wring some comedy out of it. Um, and some truth. Yes. Because right. it's go- very truthful. And then he goes on, uh, Dexter quickly loses the hustler's aggressiveness that made us like him in the first place. He's describing what happens to Dexter's character. Yeah. And the movie <laughs> turns didactic and nonsensical. It really, well, it, it doesn't turn non, it does turn nonsensical, but in like an 80 slapstick comedy way. Well, yeah, mm. like in a farce kind of a way. Yeah, because it's a comedy. What happened? <coughs> oh, but the last... A, a farcical comedy? Slow down, guys. <laughs> it turns, it turns funny. Hmm. But the, here, the last why. the last line is the best. By the time Dexter, as a publicity ploy, is forced to marry the station's white bimbo weather woman live and on camera, Weather Large has become less a critique of racial hysteria, hysteria than a symptom of it. Hmm. Wow. Wow. I don't know yeah. how a movie that no one's heard of could be a symptom of racial hysteria. <laughs> <laughs> like, man, this movie's going to really ruin um our everything we've... Uh, it's gonna it's upset the all apple the progress cart. we've made. Well, by like I... you know, the cops beating up police officers on camera <laughs> and getting away with it. It's really gonna get rid of all that goodwill that we've been engendering. Yeah, that's this, the thing. I mean, this it, movie came out. It's a it's a thing that you see, and again, you know, indicative of the process, the 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 progress we have not made in twenty seven years is the reaction that you get uh, to any discussion of these kind of issues of social justice, people get mad at you for even talking about it. Yeah, for pointing out, yeah, for picking This is dangerous. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you so... want people to do what now? <laughs> no. You want people to watch Live in Large? This could upend society as And I, I realized that was going to happen with Sorry About It. Like, yeah, this movie's about forming a union. There's no way this is going to get a lot of press. 
past like the first couple of weeks. And sure enough, they've been pulling it from theaters ever since like it expanded and it <clears throat> got that big uh, box office boost in its second weekend. Well, and it also explains why the National Review uh, review was so negative. Yeah, yeah, because that's my go-to source for <laughs> cultural matters. It yeah. really is. Uh, all that darn cultural Marxism. Is that good or it's bad? It's okay. They have their white guilt movie now instead. You know, that's going to win the Oscar. <laughs> it, I, it is because it's about the magic of filmmaking, even though that film is Birth of a Nation. <laughs> oh, they're like he's using D.W. Griffith's uh, techniques against him like everybody fucking uses D.W. Griffith's techniques <laughs> it's called fucking cross cutting like, it's called filmmaking that. yeah just, not even like his thing anymore using a camera <laughs> and editing Sean thanks for coming on thank you uh, I hope it wasn't too rambling out I didn't say too many of the lines of the movie when you watch it you're like oh that was a line in the movie that Sean that yeah. was a line in the movie that Johnson. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to edit out all. Uh, yeah, check out uh, "Living Large" for sure. It's very, very funny. Watch it on VHS if you can, so you can see the Rockadoodle trailer before. Hey, <laughs> that's the only reason I remember Rockadoodle ever existed is because it's before "Living Large." You're the only non-furry who remembers Rockadoodle. So. <laughs>